Are people elected to be saved and not to be saved? Does the sovereignty of God override man's free will? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Let's Talk. I'm Paul Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. And today we are talking about free will and Calvinism. You know what? Calvinism has become very popular in the last 20 years or so. In fact, I'm aware of some Baptist churches that have been ruined by this teaching. It's so important that we as Christians understand what Calvinism is and how to refute it. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go over the five points of Calvinism, uh, and it's it's an acronym, uh, TULIP. TULIP. I know it's not my favorite flower either. (laughs) But we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to talk about the big, 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 big issue that has confused a lot of Christians today, and that is, does man have free will? If God is really sovereign, that is, God is in control of all things, then does man really have free will? Can can these two things coexist at the same time? That's what we're going to talk about today. The five points of Calvinism, TULIP, are these. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And so we're going to break it down and talk about each one. Now, do not be fooled, because sometimes Christians think, oh, you know, Calvinism, uh, there's some truth in there. There's some... No, 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 no. No. Calvinism is complete heresy. It's complete heresy. All right? We have to be careful that we do not allow Calvinism, a little bit of Calvinism, to creep into our theology. It is completely unbiblical. We're going to look at the five points of Calvinism, and let me assure you that every single one of these points is wrong. Every point is wrong. Every point is unbiblical. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. The first one let's talk about is T, total depravity. Calvinists say that people are so depraved that they are not able of their own accord to repent and ask for salvation. In other words, this strips man of free will. No free will. Now, the Bible does teach total depravity. You know, there is none righteous. No, not one. We are totally depraved. We're completely sinful, in other words. We're completely sinful. So it does teach that, but it also teaches that man has a free will to choose. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve a choice concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, whether to eat the fruit or not. He commanded them not to eat of it, but he also gave them the choice. Now think about this. If it were inevitable that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, then that would place the responsibility of man's sin upon God. And we know that's not true because the New Testament makes it clear that it was Adam's fault. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now notice what the Bible says here. It says, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, as by one man. In other words, it was the responsibility, the responsibility is placed squarely on Adam's shoulders. Adam was the one 
who let sin into the world. Adam was the one who opened the floodgates to sin. It wasn't God's fault. It was Adam's fault. And the Calvinists will say, no, it was inevitable. You know, it was inevitable. Uh, Adam and Eve, they had no free will. They had, it was the sovereignty of God. I'm sorry, you're going to make God the originator of sin. That's what that does. It makes God the originator. Oh, it's God's fault. Sin's in the world today because of God's fault. And uh, boy, we can talk about that a long time and we can get real deep and technical, but let's, we'll just leave it at that. Total depravity. Again, it takes away man's free will. Now, yes, we are depraved. We are sinful, but we have the choice to choose to be saved. Okay, now we're going to talk about that a little bit later, so I don't want to get into that, uh, talking about uh, irresistible grace. We'll get to that in a moment. Let's move on to you. You is unconditional election. Calvinists say that certain people have been chosen, elected, to be saved, while others have not. This choosing is completely determined by God's sovereignty. Well, let me tell you, this is completely unbiblical. The Bible is clear that God wants all people to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Okay? God wants all men to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay? Once again, the Bible is clear. God wants everybody to be saved. I'm not done. Acts 17.30 In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And how about John 3.16 and 17? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now the world is talking about everybody. Everybody. And then there's that word whosoever. Whosoever. Well, that's anybody. Whosoever is anybody. Now Calvinists, they have hijacked the word election. For the Calvinist, the word elect in the Bible is always referring to the saved. But that's not true. You have to look at the context to see who the elect is referring to. So let's take a moment to look through the Bible. Let's do a Bible study and look at this word elect. The book of Isaiah uses elect four times. Isaiah 42.1 Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. Okay, now, this word elect is referring to the Messiah. The Messiah is the elect. Isaiah 45, 4. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. So here, the elect is referring to Israel. Isaiah 65, 9. And I will bring forth the seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it. Now this time, the elect is referring to the Jews, God's chosen people. Isaiah 65, 22. They shall not build, and another inhabit. They shall not plant, and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Once again, this word elect is referring to the Jews, God's chosen people. All right, so there's the four times the word elect is used in the book of Isaiah. And uh, we can see that 
uh, three of those times, it's referring to Israel, the Jews. Once, it's referring to the Messiah. Now we come to the New Testament. Now remember that Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews. Matthew was written to the Jews. Matthew chapters 20, 24 and 25 are often mistaken for the rapture, but actually they're referring to the second coming of Christ. Pay attention. Matthew 24 verse 24 says this, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. It's talking about the Jews. It's talking about the Jews. All right, and, and even then, it's a hypothetical. Jesus is not saying they will deceive the elect. He says, if it were possible, they should deceive the elect. Matthew twenty four thirty one says, And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Again, that's talking about the Jews. He's going to gather the Jews together. All right? This happens, remember, this is about the second coming. This happens at the end of the tribulation. So that elect cannot be referring to the, to the saved because we're in heaven. And we're going to return with Jesus at the second coming. So it's talking about the Jews. Matthew thirteen twenty two, For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and, show, and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Again, talking about the Jews. Mark thirteen twenty seven, and then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect, the Jews from the four winds. And you know these are these are actually Matthew and Mark here referring to the same thing. I'm I'm reading parallel accounts. But the elect here it's referring to the Jews, not the saved, the Jews. Now there are other times that the word elect appears in the New Testament. And uh, again, we need to discern who it's talking about. Romans eight thirty three says. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now the word elect here is referring to the saved. There you go, the saved. Titus 1.1 1, 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. Now I think this elect is possibly referring to Jesus. That's right. Remember, Jesus is the Messiah. And Isaiah 42.1 calls the Messiah the elect. And here the apostle says, according to the faith of God's elect. I don't think he's referring to the saved. It's not according to their faith. It's according to the faith of Jesus, the elect. Very interesting. Very interesting now. Uh, okay, not quite done. 1 Timothy 5.21 I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things, um, so on, so on. Isn't it interesting? The elect angels. The angels. This is the only time in the Bible, of course, that they're called the elect angels, but they're elect. They're chosen. 1 Peter 2, 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now I want you to notice the on him is referring to the elect. It's not the saved. This is Jesus. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, is he not? He is the cornerstone. He is elect. And the fact that it says, he that believeth on him, that tells us it's referring to Jesus. So we see that elect can refer to many, uh, many groups or individuals, such as the Jews, the Messiah, the saved, and even angels. 
once again, the Calvinists, they really do a disservice by, by thinking that the word elect always refers to the saved. Wrong. Wrong. All right, so that is the second point there. Let's move on to L. L is limited atonement. Calvinists say that Jesus died only for the elect. This doctrine further teaches that certain people are elected to salvation, while others are elected to damnation. Now, it's interesting, because some Calvinists will deny that second part. They'll say, no, 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 no. Nope. Uh, you know, other people, God doesn't elect people to damnation. God doesn't elect people to hell. Of course not. Uh, there's a problem, because this is a binary choice, right? When you die, you either go to heaven or hell, one of two places. So if God chooses certain people to be saved, then guess what? Basically, by default, he's choosing other people to be damned, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he is. So Calvinists will try to deny it. Oh, no, we're not saying that. But actually, that's true. It's true. God is choosing people to be damned. If he's choosing certain people to be saved, then by default, he is choosing others pe others to be damned. Does that bother you? Does that bother you? You know, perhaps you have a neighbor you're witness to, to or a family member or friend. If they're not elect, if God has not chosen them, then God has chosen them to be damned. Does that bother you? It should. It should. Now, here's some verses. Uh, let's put this to bed. Hebrews 2.9 says this, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Oh, do you see that? He should taste death for every man. Every person. Jesus died for every person. 1 John 2.2 2, And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, that's pretty clear. Do you know what Calvinists will say if you bring up First John 2, 2? Do you know what they'll say? They'll say, that's only talking about the world of the elect. I'm sorry, the world of the elect? It says the whole world. How can you get any more clearer than that? The whole world. Oh, it's only the world of the elect. It's ridiculous. They'll say the same thing for John three sixteen. God so loved the world. It's only the world of the elect. Wait, God only loves the elect? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And so, I think the Bible is very clear. Jesus died for every man. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. So there's no such thing. It's not true. The limited atonement, it's not true. Just didn't die. You know, his blood is not only, it's not just sufficient for the elect. His blood's sufficient for everybody. For everybody. Anybody can get saved. Let's move on to I. I is irresistible grace. Calvinists say that those who are predestined to be saved, that's, that is the elect, will be saved no matter what. Hey, no need for evangelism. They're going to get saved. They're going to get saved no matter what. Now, they use the following as a proof text for this teaching. They use John 6, verses 44 and 45, says this, No man can come to me, except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Oh, 
Yep, sounds like it. But <clears throat> listen to this. The Greek word for draw here does not mean to force, but rather it means to lead. The same Greek word is found in, in John twelve thirty two, where Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So, if the word draw in John six forty four teaches an irresistible drawing, then the Bible would be teaching in John twelve thirty two that all men would be irresistibly drawn, right? Well, that's certainly not happening, is it? Look out at the world today. Are all people being irresistibly drawn to be saved? Absolutely not. That's not happening. You can't have one without the other. You can't say, oh, the word draw here, it means to be irresistibly drawn. But then here in John twelve thirty two, oh oh, no, no, that, that doesn't mean. You see, they're playing with Scripture. They're twisting Scripture. You can't have one and not the other. Now, let me go through something real quick here. A few more scriptures. First of all, God enlightens every man. John 1, 9 says that that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Okay? So God enlightens every man. That is, God, God, the word of God, Jesus Christ, gives the knowledge of salvation. And then God convicts every man. John 16, 8. And when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then God draws every man, John twelve thirty two, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Okay? Not an irresistible drawing. Really, it means that, that there's an attraction there. It doesn't mean every person's going to be irresistibly drawn to be saved. All right? And then God leaves the choice to every man, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him, there's the choice, should not perish but have everlasting life. You have to believe in Jesus. The Bible makes that very clear. You have to believe in Jesus. It is your choice. You know what's interesting? Irresistible grace, by definition, is a contradiction. If it is irresistible then it is not grace at all. In fact, if you read the Bible, you will discover that a lot of people resisted God's grace. Hey, how about the children of Israel? You know, the children of Israel are the biggest offenders of resisting God. The Bible even calls them a stiff-necked people. Have you read the book of Jeremiah? The book of Jeremiah is a very sad book. Here's Jeremiah pleading with his own people, saying, Listen to God. Hearken to the Lord. And over and over it says they would not hearken. They would not listen. In fact, they said, Jeremiah, you shut up. We're going to take you. They threw him in a pit. They didn't want to listen to God. They didn't want to obey God. They resisted the word of God. They resisted the grace of God. And so, irresistible grace is a total heresy. All right? It is not irresistible. You can hear the gospel and say, no, thank you. I reject that. All right? And so uh, there's that. Let's move on to the last point. That is P, perseverance of the saints. Real quick here. John Calvin taught that a person who is of the elect will persevere. His teaching had nothing whatsoever to do with the keeping power of God. Now, I'm not sure if that's what the, uh, in other words, good work salvation. 
okay? I'm not sure if that's what the Calvinists teach today. They might, some might, and some might not. That's not what John Calvin taught. So for him, it was a matter of fact in the sense that it was settled because you have been elected. He taught that if a person did not persevere to the end, he was not of the elect and he had been only a false professor. Okay, so Calvin said, okay, if you're the elect, you're going to persevere to the end, you're going to make it to the end, and, you know, that, that can be a little confusing. What, what on earth, persevere to the end? What You know, there's scriptures that talk about, you know, persevering, but thank God the Bible's clear. Once saved, always saved. You can get saved and go murder somebody and still go to heaven when you die. Absolutely. God's not going to hold your sin against you because it was settled on the cross. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified immediately. You are saved. You don't have to persevere in the fact that you have to, you know, keep up appearances with God. You have to be a good person. You know, uh, all of that's unbiblical. So perseverance of the saints. Once again, I'm not sure Calvinists, if it, I think some might teach good work salvation here. Some might not. I'm not sure. But John Calvin just believed that if you were the elect then you would you would persevere. And if you didn't persevere, then that proved you were not the elect. You know, it's, it's confusing. Now, <clears throat> now let's, uh, we've talked about the, uh, the main tenets of Calvinism, tulip. And guess what? They're all, they're all unbiblical. They're all heresy. Okay. Don't think that they're, oh, there's a little bit of goodness in Calvinism. No, there's not. There's a little bit of truth in Calvinism. No, there's not. There's not. All right. Be careful. But now we come to the big question. Does man have free will if God is sovereign? Can these coexist? Or is it one or the other? Either we have free will or God is completely sovereign. Can they coexist? Well, there's a particular verse that Calvinists love to use when it comes to salvation, election, and God's sovereignty. And that verse is Acts 13.48. Listen to what it says. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, did you hear that? As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Ooh. Calvinists will say, look at that right there. They were ordained to eternal life. They were the elect. That's why they got saved. Because God had chosen them ahead of time. He had ordained them to eternal life to be saved. That's a tricky verse. I'll admit it. That's a tricky verse. But I want you to think about this. Here's an illustration. You watch a movie. You really like this movie. And uh, you like the ending of the movie. So you, you, you get your friend and you say to your friend, Hey, you got to watch this movie. This is a really good movie. And, and he's never seen it before. But you have. And you know the ending. You know the outcome of the movie. It's a great ending. It's a really, you know what's going to happen. But your friend watching the movie for the first time, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know the choices that the characters in the movie are going to make. They don't know if, if this character dies or they live. They don't know what happens with the bad guy. They don't know how the movie ends, in other words. But you do. Now, the fact that you know the ending of the movie, does that change the choices of the characters in the movie? The fact that you know the choices they're going to make, does that have any influence upon the choices that they make? Of course not. It simply means that you know what they're going to do because you've seen it. 
You've seen it. Whereas your friend watching it for the first time, they don't know the outcome until they see it. So you see what I'm saying? God is outside of time. God knows the past, present, and future. God can see the future. Okay? Does God know who will get saved? Of course he does. He knows who's going to get saved because God knows everything. But his knowledge of the fact, you know, his knowledge of that fact, who's going to get saved and who's not, that doesn't take away man's free will. Okay? He simply knows the outcome while we do not. You know, you're witnessing to your, your, uh, your uncle, your aunt, your mom, your dad. You're witnessing to them. You're praying that they would be saved. God knows if they're going to get saved or not. That does not take away their free will. That does not mean that God has elected them to damnation. That's ridiculous. The Bible's clear that that's not true. God wants everyone to be saved. God knows if they will be saved. He knows if they will. But the fact that he knows that does not take away their choice. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense to you. I want you to listen to these verses where God gives people a choice and he asks them to choose. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Joshua twenty four fifteen. This is a familiar verse. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me, Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, Joshua says, hey, choose who you're going to serve. Choose your God. But I'm just going to let you know my choice. Me and my family, were serving the Lord. Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. God is saying, Would you choose the good path? Choose the good path, but I want you to listen. But they said, We will not walk therein. Now, this is, this is God's chosen people, Israel. They're making their choice. God is saying, please choose the path, the old paths. And they said, no, we will not. We refuse. They made that choice. I want you to listen to this passage in Proverbs chapter 1. This is Proverbs 1, verses 23 through 29. Listen carefully. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you, because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early. But they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? God says, I'm pleading with you. Please listen to me. Hearken to me. And it said they would not hear 
they did not choose the fear of the Lord. One more, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, uh, uh, here's Jesus speaking. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you realize that all of those are choices? If any man will come after me, there's a choice. He has to deny himself, that's a choice. Take up his cross daily, that's a choice. And follow me, that's a choice. It's a lot of choices. You know what? It comes down to this. Either we have free will or God has deceived us by making us think that we can choose when in reality he is pulling the strings and exercising his sovereignty to the very smallest detail. But that is not the case. We are not robots. We are not robots. Do you realize Calvinism makes us out to be robots? Calvinism is so extreme on the side of God's sovereignty that it strips away our free will. And if I, I'm telling you, if we have no free will, then we are robots. Those who have to get saved will inevitably get saved. Those who are not elect are, are destined to damnation and hell. There's no choice. No choice. Hey, whatever you happen to, what happens to you today, the choices you make today, God ordained that you would make those choices. I'm sorry, but that's, that's messed up. That's heresy. That's heresy. God did not make us to be robots. God wants to have a relationship with you. How would you like to have a relationship with somebody that could not make their own choices? God doesn't want that. Not at all. And so again, either we have free will or God has deceived us. I just read a whole bunch of verses, uh, scripture to you, where God says, choose. God says, the choice is yours. You choose. Choose life or death. Choose who you will serve. Choose the old paths. Jesus says, lay, choose to follow me. Follow me. And so either we have free will or God has deceived us into making us think that we have free will when we actually don't. I do not believe that's the case at all. I, I do believe we have free will. We can have both. God is sovereign. God's in control. But he also lets us choose. And again, remember, God knows the choices you're going to make. God knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. That doesn't mean that he chooses them to be saved or not. He leaves the choice in our hands. Thank you for listening today. Before we close out, I want to read a quote by Spurgeon. That's very interesting. Spurgeon he was a Calvinist. If you read Spurgeon, you'll find that he loved to use that word elect. He loved to use that word elect. So he was a little bit he was a little bit Calvinistic in his theology, but the truth is a lot of guys back then were. A lot of guys back then were. And you know, I love Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. But it's very interesting what he says here. Uh, he's commenting on Genesis forty five, verse five. Listen to what he says, and I quote Joseph's brothers had done wrong. But he wanted them to know that God had overruled their action and that their sin had become the means of their preservation and the preservation of many besides. How wonderfully these two things meet in practical harmony, the free will of man and the predestination of God. Man acts just as freely and just as guiltily as if there were no predestination whatever. And God ordains, arranges, supervises, and overrules just as accurately 
as if there were no free will in the universe. Some people only believe one or the other of these two truths of God, yet they are both true, and the one is as true as the other. I believe that much of the theology which is tinged with free will is true, and I know that the teaching which fully proclaims electing love and sovereign grace is also true, and we may find much of both of these truths in the scriptures. The fault lies in trying to compress all truth of God under either of these two heads. You know what? He's right. We got to be careful that we are not radical. We are not to one extreme or the other. The Calvinists are on the extreme of God's sovereignty. But there's also the other extreme of man's free will, which erases God's sovereignty, that it's completely in man's hands. And that God, you know, it's kind of like the deists. The deists believed that there was a God, but that God had taken his hands off the universe and he was just letting it play out and whatever happened, happened. So in other words, God was not doing anything. God was just sitting idly by and watching. That's not true. That's not true. So we had to be careful that we are not on either extreme. You can have both. You can have the free will of man, man, Uh, Man can choose. You can choose to be saved or not. You can choose to serve God or not. We have a free will. But at the same time, we have the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign. God is in control. God knows what he's doing. God has a plan. And again, God knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. So so you you have to balance these two. But if you come away from anything from this this lesson, I, I just want you to understand that Calvinism is wrong, okay? Do not think that any point of Calvinism is okay. That's okay. It's not. Calvinism is wrong. It is heresy. And I'll tell you, it is creeping into churches because it sounds so good. It sounds logical. It does. It sounds smart. Wow, it sounds really smart. Wow. That's the problem with Calvinism. Calvinists, they, they try to make sense of everything. You can't make sense of everything. You're going to tell me you can make sense about every little thing in the mind of God? You can't fully understand the mind of God. You can't fully understand the plan of God. You can't. Calvinists try to make sense of everything. Then you can't do that. Okay? A big part of God's sovereignty is the fact that we, we just don't, we don't know everything. God hasn't told us everything. But by, by the way, If you could understand everything about God, he would cease to be God. God is far above our intellect. He is far above our capacity to understand everything. But Calvinism, it tries to make sense of everything, and you can't. You can't. So please do not be deceived. Calvinism is wrong. It's heresy. And it is creeping into churches. It is getting its tentacles into churches. It is twisting doctrine. Be very careful, okay? Be very careful. And uh, I, I hope that the church you go to is not, does not have that Calvinism in its teaching, okay? So I, I hope that um, what we've talked about today, I hope it makes sense to you. We have free will. God is still sovereign. He's on the throne. And uh, again, it can be a little confusing. I, I get it. It can be a little confusing. But I hope that you'll be clear in this aspect that yes, you have the free will to choose to make your own choices and God he doesn't get in the way God's not going to force you to do anything God's going to let you make your own choices 
all right? So, hey, whoever you're witnessing to, that, that family member, that friend you, that you want to witness to, God wants them to be saved. Jesus died for them. I don't care who they are. Jesus died for them. And God wants them to be saved. And don't you give up. You witness to them. You pray for them that they would be saved. Okay? Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, hey, uh, please consider supporting the podcast uh, right now. Uh, by, the main series is the Preaching Podcast, and that's going to be starting up again in September. This is a sub-series of the Preaching Podcast called Let's Talk. And don't worry, I'm going to continue that in the fall as well. It'll show up. We'll have one episode each month. All right, and I'm really excited. We talk about things that that uh, important issues that I think some Christians can be confused about, you know. And I got all kinds of things planned, so I hope you'll continue to listen. If you like, you can support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. There's a link at the end of the description of this podcast, and you can click that and support. Sure, sure would appreciate your support. Also, you can check out my website, paulrobinsonbooks.com, and you can check out my blog there and my books. And guess what? I just released my new book. It's out. It's available right now, Becoming a Man of Missions, a study on the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Please check it out. I sure would love it if you would uh, get your own copy. You can get a paperback version or Kindle version, and it's about uh, missionary work. It's about evangelism, and I know that it will be a great blessing to you. So, You can pick up your copy right now. All right, thank you so much for listening. Uh, My church's YouTube channel is Northside Baptist Church, North Glen, Colorado. You can uh, watch my preaching there, also preaching from the other pastors at my church. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Paul Robinson, and until next time, God bless you.